what we need to focus on is behavior change. And I, and I think, you know, that, that's the biggest challenge, I think. But you did talk about keto, and I think that that's a valid point, if you wouldn't mind addressing that, because yeah. there are so many people who, who do have good results with keto, right. but, but what else is happening? Right. So, so again, I think, you know, we kind of live in this, this era of immediate gratification. And, and the other thing is we practice oftentimes what I call health reductionism. I want, we treat people's weight different than we treat their blood pressure, different than we treat their heart disease, different than we treat their cancer risk, different than we treat their, you know, their blood sugars, their diabetes. And so, you know, for example, if you're trying to lower your blood sugar um, and you go on a keto diet, yes, your blood sugars get better um, and you'll lose weight. But to achieve that in the short run, those are short run, short term, you know, um, outcomes to achieve that, though, the high fat, the high, high protein diets. And there's, again, study after study after study has shown that when people go on a keto diet, they have these short-term benefits, their sugars improve, they lose weight, but their cancer risk goes through the roof. I've seen people's cholesterol go from, you know, 200 to 300 total cholesterol on a keto diet because there's so much fat, the only way, you know, to get ketotic. And, um, you know, in the way when patients come in about the, the, the sugar, the, 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 the diabetes, you know, I, I think most doctors don't really understand what diabetes is uh, really and type two diabetes and the analogy I use is a kitchen sink model, right? So imagine you came into your kitchen this morning and the drain was clogged and you left the water on and there's water overflowing onto the floor, right? So how do you fix that? You got a mop, maybe two mops, maybe three mops, you get the water up. Well, guess what? When you come back later today or tomorrow, you get to get the mops back out because you haven't fixed the problem because the problem is not the water on the floor. The problem is the clogged drain and, 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 the, and you left the water on. Well, that's exactly how most doctors are trained to treat types of diabetes, right? We got our metformin mop and then our Genuvia mop, then our insulin mop. We mop the sugar up, we put them away, but then we got to get them back out. So what's clogging the drain in type 2 diabetes? It's actually fat deposited in the muscle and liver cells. The processed sugar, processed grains, you know, edibles, that alcohol, things like that, that drives the need for insulin. That's the water. So what? And so that's why, by the way, a high fiber, low fat plant-based diet has been shown to reverse type 2 diabetes. A keto diet, if you really think about it, what a keto diet does, it, it only takes care of half of that problem. It turns off the water. But in fact, there's research that suggests that insulin resistance will actually get worse. So when you come off a keto diet, your insulin resistance is worse than when you started because, you, because you've just clogged the drain more because of all the fat intake. So assuming that someone says, okay, I'm going to eat a whole food plant-based diet, I'm totally committed to it. Now, I've heard a lot of plant-based doctors say low fat. They've been very clear no oil, or I think they've said no oil, and I think they've said low fat. Um, however, I've heard Dr. Furman said that he's worked with long-term vegans, and some of them have ended up with dementia, and I think that he's saying that you should have either EPA, DHA, or he's saying to have some fats. I might be saying this wrong, but I guess the concern is that if you don't eat fat, are we going to end up with the problem with dementia of some type? Right. So, you know, the way I frame this intellectually and again, evidence-based is, you know, is really a step back and ask the simple question as human beings, what did we evolve to eat? What, what's the optimum diet for human health? And arguably it's the same diet we've been, that we, our ancestors followed for tens of thousands of years. Now, you mentioned paleo earlier. There's no such thing as a paleo diet, right? It was highly variable depending on season of the year, you know, what time, you know, geography, where you live. But there were certainly ancestral dietary patterns. And our ancestors, despite what many people perceive in temperate climates, I'm not talking about the Inuits in the subarctic, they were not 
hunter gatherers. They were gatherer hunters, right? It was much easier to gather food off the ground than to hunt down um, animals. But what do we gather? Well, it was primarily unrefined plants, roots and stems and leaves and seeds and fruits and nuts and vegetables and berries, legumes. There was not a canola oil bush or an olive oil bush. There wasn't a white flower tree. There wasn't a, 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 a you know, a, a Dr. Pepper nut. So, so just like, you know, in your car, you wouldn't put diesel gas in your car in moderation um, if expected to run right. You know, all of these highly processed sugars and highly processed oils and artificial sweeteners are all, A, they weren't in our ancestral diet and they're like, it's like putting diesel gas in your car. We did not uh, have access to dairy products other than our mother's milk. Um, there's several lines of evidence around that. We had to domesticate other mammals to even get access to their milk. That didn't occur till seven, 8,000 years ago. Seems like a long time, but a blink of an eye if you look at the you know millions of years or so that human species has been on the planet. Now we did eat meat, but it wasn't very much. Uh, probably 20, 25% of our calories. The, those animals were wild animals, which were very low fat, very lean. Um, there wasn't much fat in the wild animals that our ancestors ate. But I think you could also argue that our ancestors had a survival advantage to have in concentrated animal fat and protein to get big and strong, get away from a leopard and find a mate before they died with some infectious disease when they were 30. So they never had to worry about if I overconsume animal foods or these processed foods, you know, am I going to get diabetes or have a heart attack or whatever? Because they were already dead, right? Again, from infectious disease. We've unmasked these chronic conditions. And then you step back and you think about the implications of how we raise food today on the environment, you know, I think you can make a very strong argument that a whole food plant-based diet is the optimum diet for human health, planetary health, et cetera. So if you look at the macronutrient ratios of a whole food plant-based diet, 75% unrefined carbs, 15% uh, protein, and about 10% fat. That, that's, that's, and that's, that matches the best we know to what our best estimates of what an ancestral diet was. So that equals about 30, 35 grams of fat a day. Um, and so, you know, again, um, now you do need omega-3, you do need some omega-3 uh, fatty acids, um, but you can get those, if you're eating a well-balanced whole food plant-based diet, you know, things like what to like- Seaweed. See, well, no, no, uh, oh, the wall, the wall walnuts and hemp seed and flax seed and all that. And I, I do have some patients, especially if they're having a hard time cutting out oil, I will, I will put them on an algae-based omega-3. But, but what's interesting, if you really look at the dementia literature, the things that prevent dementia are things like blueberries and antioxidants and, you know, not smoking and exercise and, and, and such. So, so I think there's a lot more evidence to suggest that a whole food plant-based diet is the best way to prevent dementia than as a cause. So if, I'm sorry, you want to say something, Karen? I was just going to say that, you know, it's not a, it's just because we're not using refined oils uh, doesn't mean it's a fat-free diet. We absolutely, to your point, I mean, right. it, we absolutely need fat. We just don't need this copious amounts of fat that, that uh, we right. hear from, from marketers really. Right. Right. And so you, you mentioned oil, you know, one, a, a, a tablespoon of oil has like 10, 12, 14 grams of fat in it. So that's half of the fat we need for the, for the day. And, you know, you're not just putting the table, you know, you're coating that pan and, 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 and you're, you know, you're, it's in the salad dressing, it's in all this processed food we eat. So uh, the problem is most of, most people get way too much fat, which is inflammatory and heart disease, cholesterol on and on. So. So if someone follows a whole food plant-based diet with um, min no, no, no oil, um, minimal salt, no sugar, do they achieve their optimal weight and blood sugar or if is it not enough? Like, is that it? Like in what percent of the time should we expect to have a blood sugar under a hundred and, and a good weight on a whole food, low fat 
plant-based diet? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sugar-free. I mean, we, I use a little bit of maple syrup and date, date paste. I mean, you right. know, so there's, there's, there's varying things, but um, I don't know how. Well, so, so it's interesting. So we, we, you know, we do talk a lot about diet, but there's really three, there's really four kind of legs to the stool here, right? Um, we have to, 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 to be truly well, right? To achieve the goals you talked about, normalize your blood sugar, lose weight, reverse your heart disease, get rid of the diabetes. We have to achieve wellness, if you will, in three separate but highly connected domains. And then we need to limit our exposures to environmental toxins. And that's primarily tobacco and alcohol. Although I think there is increasing concern about pesticides and herbicides and heavy metals and hormones and antibiotics in our food. But the principal domains are physical wellness. And we achieve that through movement. You know, we need 30 minutes to an hour most days, a couple of days a week, we need to replicate picking stuff up, moving out of the way. We need to be emotionally well. And that's about stress, stress management and sleep. And then we need to be nutritionally well, which means we got to eat what we're supposed to eat and stop eating what we're not supposed to eat. Um, the other thing I think we overlook is how connected they are. You know, you can't truly be emotionally well without regular physical activity. And in fact, the more stress you have, the more activity you need. And the reason is your brain can't tell the difference between worrying about COVID and seeing lepers. So we get the same stress response. So what happens when we, when we create that mismatch? When all of a sudden the adrenaline, you know, makes our blood pressure go up and we get anxious so we can't sleep because our mind's racing around worrying about stuff so we don't recover from the stress, which just makes it worse. The cortisol, you know, drives our appetite, preferentially towards we eat as belly fat because it's trying to help you refill that gas tank before the next leopard. So again, um, um, when we create a mismatch between stress and movement, uh, it can lead to stress eating and weight gain, you know, hard to lose weight. Fundamental connection, diet and physical activity. You know, we, we you know, you don't park your car in the garage for you or not drive it and, and still fill it full of gas five times a day, even if you're putting the right kind of gas in, right? You don't empty your gas tank and put 30 gallons in a 15 gallon tank and, and, and you don't put diesel gas in your car in moderation. So yes, diet does drive probably 75 to 80% of our overall health. But I think we're, what we, what we don't pay near enough and Karen can speak to this too, near enough attention to is our emotional health. Because if you're stressed out and you're, you know, you're, 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 you're anxious, you're not sleeping well, you're going to be much, much less likely. To, to cook that healthy meal, uh, to, to go out and, and exercise. Yeah, you just won't be motivated. Right, exactly. Right. And so, I mean, I'm sure you see that a lot with, with you know, the stress eating and all that. All it's, it's the so, time. So, yeah, and I mean, common. I do it. Everybody does right. it. You know? Right. And what about um, salt? I've always thought that salt was something to avoid, but there's a, someone wrote a book called The Salt Fix. And I know someone who tells me, no, no, you need water of salt. It holds the water. I, I don't, what, what is your thought about salt? Well, so just take this from a culinary standpoint, um, I, I salt my food while I am cooking. It has a very real scientific actually place in, in the kitchen. It really does help the flavors or the food bloom, if you will, uh, really develops the flavors. It's not, you're not tasting salt, you're tasting the real food. Um, so I will salt a little bit during the cooking process. I do not do it at the end. Right. And I mean, we're talking, you know, if I'm making a big pot of soup or chili or what, gosh, whatever I'm making, I usually batch cook. Um, I'm putting a little pinch in there and it's, you know, you're getting 12 servings out of right. this or whatever. So, and right. I mean, literally like a little pinch because a lot, a little bit goes a long way. I do not use it at the end because I just spent all this time and money on this food for myself and my family or, you know, for a class here, I don't want you just to taste salt. I right. want you to taste the real flavors. So that's why I don't end with salt. I just cook with it. Right. And we need about, so, so you are right. I mean, we do need salt and um, probably around 1500 milligrams a day of sodium is, is about right uh, for, for most people. 
The problem is, you know, average American gets three to 4,000 milligrams a day, and it's mainly from packaged food um, and, you know, packaged food and restaurant food. So we'd get a tremendous, we, we, you know, we take in way too much salt. And, and as you probably know, um, salt is actually inflammatory, excess salt. So excess salt can create inflammation. It can raise our blood pressure. Um, well, in a, you know, and as far as salt and blood pressure, one, one thing people may not realize that's just as important for blood pressure uh, as sodium, it's actually uh, potassium. So it's, it's, it's really what you really are shooting for is a, is a ratio of three to one potassium to sodium. So you're looking for about 4,500 milligrams of potassium to about 1,500 milligrams of, 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 um, of sodium. And um, if you can maintain that ratio, then, then th that mitigates some of the effect of, of the excess salt. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, you know, we talk about you Where know, do you find potassium? Yeah, 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 potassium. Most people the bananas, right? So bananas have about four hundred milligrams uh, per banana. So you you know you have to eat 10, 12 bananas a day to get all that potassium. Beet greens, yep, beets and beet greens, thirteen hundred yeah. milligrams a cup. You know, potatoes, thousand milligrams a cup. White sweet potatoes, thousand milligrams a cup. Spinach. So again, it's these green leafy vegetables and 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 and, and such are the best sources of potassium. There's a woman named Sally Norton who just wrote a book that just came out called Toxic Superfoods, How Oxalate Overloads Making You Sick and How to Get Better. She says that beans and quinoa and whole grains are gut-irritating foods. Um, and she, um, the people who support the book are people that seem to promote paleo, keto diets. Um, so the question is, um, you know, are there any health risks? I mean, I don't know. She wrote this book. Stephen Gundry wrote that book about lectins. Are you finding in the real world in your research that there are any health risks from eating plant-based foods such as beans, whole grains, quinoas, and quinoa and green vegetables? Could it be bad for our kidneys? Is she correct? Well, you know, what should we think of this? Well, I, I will. I will give her this. Yeah, there's a huge health risk if you're going to eat if you're going to eat uncooked beans and uncooked right. quinoa because right. you don't. You're not going to worry about a. a a tummy ache, you're going to have to go find a dentist. Yeah, right. You know, right. like you, <laughs> that's where the oxalates sit. They sit in the uncooked beans and the uncooked right. grains um, and, and the uncooked greens too. Right. So right. here's the thing when you cook the beans and you cook the grains, you are cooking off those those harmful oxalates. And right. the, any, any of the oxalates that are left in there are actually helpful for your gut. Right. So, um, so that's, same with the lecithins, by so, the way. So the, the, the lecithins, yes. the fight, the phytates, which is what Gundry talks about, you know? Yeah. So they, so don't worry when, you, when you cook them, right. And so, you know, if, if you back up and you look at the blue zones, right. So people don't know what the blue zones are. So Dan Butner went around and they, they found, they found, um, um, they found, uh, uh, societies, uh, uh, cultures, societies that, that had exceptional longevity. So it was like Okinawa. Centarians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okinawa, uh, Ikara in Greece, uh, Sardinia in Italy, the, Loma, the Nokoya Peninsula in, in Costa Rica, and then Loma Linda, California. And interestingly enough, I'll come back to why Loma Linda is on the, on the list. But if you do a Venn diagram of what they have in common, and these, again, these are some of the longest lived healthiest people on the planet. What's their main source of protein? Well, it's legumes, right? So if legumes were somehow anti-nutrient and, and did bad things for you, I don't think the longest lived people in the world would be using that as their primary source of protein. Now, um, and the reason, by the way, people, you know, you can kind of get the other places. Why in the world would Loma Linda, California be on that list? What turns out Loma Linda, California has one of the largest per per capita uh, population of Seventh-day Adventists. And Seventh-day Adventists as part of their religious practice follow a plant-based diet, right? 
Um, now, that all being said, um, there are a few, there are some people that need to be careful about oxalates. And those are people that form kidney stones. Uh, oxalate kidney stones are, are the most common kind of, of kidney stones. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you're eating a lot, and I have seen patients who were putting a pound of raw spinach in a, smooth, yeah. in a smoothie every morning and got kidney stones from it. Um, but um, as Karen said, when you cook, when you cook the spinach, right? Steam it or Steam boil it. it right. Yeah. Th that reduces the oxalate between 50 and 80%, right? So, so it's just not something you have to worry about and, and you know, staying hydrated and all that. So there, there is a very specific population of people that have to be a little bit careful with oxalates, but, um, um, but for, for the most of the population, it's just not something to worry about. Are, are raw greens like kale and broccoli a risk to eating if you eat them raw? Spinach, kale, broccoli, and dandelion? They're all going to be a different amount of ox. Are we still on oxalates? Is that yes, yeah. 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 Um, so they're all going to have different varying amounts of oxalates. So that's why I always tell people, um, to, to rotate your greens, right. you know, every time you go to the grocery store, buy a different green. Right. So, and mix it up too. Right. So, well, so some in a salad and then cook some. Oh, right, right. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You know, it is interesting, you know, th this question about cooked versus raw in general comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, um, it's interesting because there's a number of, 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 of vegetables, uh, tomatoes, for example, and carrots and mushrooms and asparagus and cabbage, where actually when you cook them, the nutritional value goes up actually. Uh, for example, tomatoes have lycopene, um, which is, has been shown to, um, has been shown to uh, reduce uh, uh, the risk for prostate cancer and breast cancer and such as that. If you cook tomatoes for two minutes, the, the, oxal the lycopene content goes up 50%. Yeah. You cook it for 30 minutes, it goes up 164%. But then the vitamin C right, right. goes so, down. So you do lose a little bit on the other side of that. You know, when we cook vegetables, it, especially some of the water soluble vegetables, you will decrease like vitamin C. So again, the idea is, is to have cook a tomato sauce, but also have a salad that has some raw tomatoes on it. So it's, it's just about, again, mixing it up and, right. and, and, and uh, eat what you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.